The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. On with the show. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and a welcome to Eric Crema, host of Spotlight on Success. Eric, How who are you, you interviewing Paul? today, or are you going to keep us in suspense? A little bit of suspense here. I've got a, a couple of things in mind, so I'm not sure which is going to flesh out exactly. So what you're going to have to do is just tune in. Of course, Wednesdays over there at Kixie at 3 o'clock, simulcast over on KKNW, same time. And then Kixie's on Sundays. So you've got three ways, and of course, the podcast. So just tune in. It's going to be a great interview, regardless of either one of these guests. But it's Spotlight on Success. Look forward to talking to you. And we will look forward to it as well. Today, I'm talking to an author of a book called Manhattan Cult Story. Byline, my unbelievable true story of sex. Crimes, Chaos, and Survival by Spencer Schneider. I don't usually do cult stories, Mm -hmm. but I thought this had an interesting angle because the people who belonged in this cult are very high society people, attorneys, doctors, engineers, professors from Manhattan, very upscale people. I suppose if it can happen to them, it can happen to anyone. And uh, it's pretty incredible uh, that he shared his story and how long he was part of this. So it's going to be quite interesting story. I'll leave it to the listeners to see if they think it's that way. But um, that, again, is a story called Manhattan Cult Story. I'm also going to be talking to a Washington leader in holistic health care. And I'll be talking to the CEO, President Michelle Simon, about how natural medicine is integrating with conventional medicine, or is it? Mm. And how far holistic medicine has come, and how far it has to go. In today's one-hit wonder, the song was written by Chip Taylor, who was John Boyd's brother and Angelina Jolie's uncle. Has nothing to do with the hit, but I just thought that was interesting. That's coming up later in the show. So my interview with the Manhattan cult story, author Spencer Snyder, coming up in just a moment. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. My guest is Spencer Schneider, author of Manhattan Cult Story. He joined a cult when he was 29 years old, known as School. He and a number of others were led by a sociopathic and dangerous leader, Sharon Gons. As I say to him in the interview, I thought the book was fiction, and I was actually going to pass on this interview. When I found out it was based on reality, I was intrigued. The people who joined this cult were very educated, upper-income professionals, doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, educators, and the setting was in Tribeca, one of the wealthiest neighborhoods 
in Manhattan, New York. So, if people of this stature are susceptible, it's easy to understand why we have become such a nation of political cults. When I got the opportunity to do this interview, I thought Manhattan Cult Story was probably a book of fiction. I kind of looked at the cover and said, this is kind of be an interesting story. And then I find out it's real and that uh, you were a member of this cult for 23 years. So let's start there. Okay. How did you become part of this cult and what led you to uh, go with it for 23 years? First of all, I want to thank you so much for having me. And say that, yeah, it, it's a true story. I was a 29-year-old attorney living in Manhattan, um, going about my life, working at a law firm, working hard. Uh, you know, I really have had pretty much everything I wanted. I grew up in a privileged, you know, home with everything I, I needed and, you know, met uh, someone uh, who I admired, a nice fellow, um, highly educated and professional. And, he, uh, you know, proffered this invitation to a group, uh, and that's how it started. So when you met this guy, this person, what did he say this was going to be about? He explained that this was a secret group that would basically study the philosophy of Gurdjieff and Espensky, which is called, which is the fourth way. These are Russian mystics, and that he'd been involved, and by its nature, it was secret, thought I would benefit from it. It's the fact that this was kind of a secret insinuation, it's a secret group, that kind of enticed you? I was curious. You know, I was like, secrets in New York? I mean, maybe hmm, maybe this is something. Went to a, a meeting, and we met. The, the whole thing was just classes. You know, they called it school. And it was like group therapy kind of, you know, book club kind of classes with uh, teachers and, and students. And we met twice a week in, in evenings. It was a lot of people like me, professionals and young. And so was it interesting in the beginning? You were learning things and, and I don't that the curriculum, you said there were like classes twice a week. And what did they teach? So it was this philosophy of these uh, philosophers, Gertrude and Spensky. And it was basically like this sort of Eastern uh, thought, uh, you know, um, that was, you know, really like self-improvement tools to help navigate, you know, your life. So when did you just begin to discover that maybe it took a turn that and maybe it wasn't helpful? Because yeah. I think it turned dark after a while from what I've read. Yeah. Things, wheels yeah. started coming off. So, okay, so for a period of time, you were going, I'm learning things from this and um, it's, it's helping me. But then all of a sudden, what? It just started going in a different direction. Uh, there was a woman by the name of Sharon Gaines. Is that her name? The founder? Yeah. Sharon Gaines. Yeah. Sharon Gaines. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she was the founder of the group. And, you know, like you say, and in the beginning, the first year or so, it was all, all was fine. It was very nice. Uh, I, you know, I met friends, I had community. It was a nice time. But like with all these kind of abusive situations, it could, it could get bad. And it got dark when about the time we met her, she was, um, we didn't even know about her existence. And there was no internet to check her out. But she was a very peculiar, but very demanding uh, type of person. I gave it a shot because she seemed to be admired by the other leaders. But one of the things she asked us to do was to recruit new people to the group. And I thought, uh, uh, you know, the amount of time they wanted us to spend on it was odd. And here I was being burdened with something that took a lot of time and money and effort. How long was this into the process? Oh, it was only a year, but I, I, I felt like it was helping me so much. 
much in my life. There was a very, you know, abusive um, classes where people were, you know, taken to task for not coming on time or and were told, you know, how to, uh, you know, live their lives. Yeah, I read in at some point there were, you were asked to give up your freedom and free will. And again, we're talking about people who are doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, some very successful people in New York. And I guess what I'm thinking, if they can be taken in, you can be taken in, what chance does other people have when these cults come up? Because I I was interested in this because I think there's a lot of false information out today. And I think there is a lot of potential for cults. As a matter of fact, I think we have a lot of cults going on now that people just believe in what they want to believe in. And they go down this dark path and the information they're getting is not accurate. I guess uh, it may sound arrogant, but that's what I believe. I agree. And I think that's a a real problem. I think what all cults offer, and it doesn't matter how highly educated or low educated or what you think someone knows or doesn't know, or, but they appeal to people's frustrations and, and wishes and desires, emotional aspects of people's lives. It's like any con, really, uh, anybody can be tricked. It's just you know, which con do you fall for? And so why did I fall for that? Well, they were offering things I really wanted more, which is, you know, intellectual stimulation and friendships and uh, possible romantic relationships. You know, I was lonely 29-year-old, and hey, it'd be nice to meet some uh, women and then other people. And then, you know, like the cult today, people are very unhappy and to feel disconnected and, and angry. And, you know, people come out with these outlandish kinds of statements and and leaders who will, uh, you know, mobilize people uh, with just falsehoods. How many people were a part of this? How many members were there? At any given time, there were a few hundred, but I would say a few thousand passed through over the last 30 or so years. What were the most destructive acts committed by the school? The subtitle is My Unbelievable True Story of Sex crimes, chaos, and survival. And so let's talk about the chaos first. The chaos was this sort of gaslighting of people's free will. And it wasn't just like this philosophy, but it was an ideology that we needed to subscribe to in order to really maintain our membership. And so people really lost like their free will. There was sexual abuse of women. There was physical abuse of, of men and women. Children were put up for adoption when the leader felt that the parents weren't uh, good parents or would be good parents. There was forced labor, you know, arranged marriages. Well, why would anyone put up with this for 23 years? You were involved with this for 23 years. It's the question I had to answer to write the book. And I think it was that I was so under the grip of this ideology and leader that I just couldn't break away. And, um, you know, let me liken it to people who were like in abusive marriages and they find themselves, they just can't break away. Or there are, you know, people in uh, just uh, abuse, you know, substances. It's very, very hard because it came, became like an addiction to me. Sure. And it's such a good service for you to write this book about your own experience 
because again, these cults can be around and what you described happened there. Did they ever ask you to turn over your savings account or a house or underwrite that? You know what I'm saying to some of the members to raise money? The richer people were asked to give substantial amounts because they could afford it, and they did. Uh, I know a guy who once turned over his uh, his uh, bonus, uh, and I know others who, uh, you know, ultimately Sharon lived in the um, Plaza Hotel. It was an $8.5 million apartment that was paid for by um, members of the, of the cult who were very wealthy. Yeah, it just sounds like a very typical cult if there is such a thing, but they exactly. raise their money yeah. from that. Any uh, words you want to say before um, we depart today? Oh, well, I just, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really like being on your show and want people to know, I, hey, look, I survived. I not only survived, I think I'm doing better now than I've ever been because I sought and got help. There's all kinds of resources. You could always reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to anybody about this. You know, want to be of service. That's Spencer Snyder, author of Manhattan Cult Story. This is a cautionary tale about the power of group psychology and how anyone can be radicalized, and it's a story about surviving traumatic abuse ultimately then finding a path to healing. If you would like a copy of this book, all you need to do is Google Manhattan Cult Story. That's Manhattan Cult Story. There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Base is loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Hanniger or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Hanniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and Adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score in the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. My guest is Michelle Simon, and she's the president and CEO of the Institute for Natural Medicine. More and more people are attracted to holistic health care, so I thought it was long overdue that I talk about this subject. Michelle is a naturopathic physician and graduate of Bastyr University, and she is convinced that expectations of a more health-savvy populace will accelerate the demand for integrative medicine. So whether it's holistic or integrative, let's find out what this is all about. First of all, define holistic healthcare. What is that? Yeah, holistic healthcare to me it indicates the way in which we as providers approach our patients. So we see them as more than just like the sum of their parts. We focus on their whole being rather than specific illnesses or complaints that they might have. And we look at how they interact with their environment, you know, how they sleep, how they eat how much movement they get or how their relationships are and the kind of the quality of their work even, for example. So it emphasizes and prioritizes really the interaction of the mind, body, and the spirit, I would say. Okay, that's a good definition. And so you kind of defined, I guess, I was going to, the next question, we would like the difference between 
conventional medicine and holistic health approach, but it kind of understandably is that you're looking at the whole being versus conventional um, type mm. of medicine looks basically at the situation, the problem as it is right there and treats that. Would that be fair? You know, part of the challenge is there's just time delimited. So when you see a conventional provider, like a medical doctor, there's typically the average visit is maybe seven to 10 minutes long. You don't have a lot of time. If there's more time available, you can get into the whole picture. And a naturopathic doctor, which I am, for example, we see patients for anywhere from 30 to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour long. So we have a lot more time to be able to get into this holistic approach and understand really the context in which the patient is presenting. What are your goals? You are the CEO president of um, the Institute for Natural Medicine. What are your goals there? We work in three main areas, I would say education, access, and research. And our goals are tied to those specific areas. So for example, in education, we would like the public to understand accurately what a naturopathic doctor is, how they're educated, trained, and licensed, and what the difference between a licensed ND is and someone who calls themselves a naturopath without having gone to an accredited institution and being able to you know, be eligible for a license, essentially. So we'd like the public to understand what their options are for natural health. And our website at naturemed.org is poised, I think, to become a trusted guide on the Internet for reliable and accurate information on natural health care options for people. So millions of people visit our site, and we really hope to become the primary resource on the Internet for natural health care information. We also have a childhood nutritional education program called Naturally Well, that aims to change fourth graders' minds about the importance of food as medicine and living healthy lifestyles. I think it would be fantastic to have this available in every after-school program for kids across the country. And in the area of access, we have a Find an MD tool that helps people find a licensed naturopathic doctor in their area, and we'd like that to be the primary resource for finding natural health care doctors. We also have a residency program that connects patients with providers in the conventional medical world, medical doctors have access to free residency training through Medicare, which pays for all MD residencies, but naturopathic doctors are not yet enumerated in Medicare, so we don't have the same access to free residencies. So INM has created a unique funding model to expand and scale residency access for NDs, and a goal of this program would be a residency for every graduate. And then in the area of research, we've got two public research projects going on. One's a chronic health study in which uh, it's a public health study basically looking at group visits in naturopathic approaches for chronic health diseases in underserved and rural communities. This is happening in, in rural North Carolina. And the tagline for that is become your own health CEO. And I would love to see that program carried out in every state because we know chronic health diseases are such a problem. And our other research study is a long-haul COVID study with naturopathic care in a community health setting. We've partnered with a network of federally qualified healthcare centers in rural Okanagan, Washington. What is the resistance like to uh, conventional medicine? Why don't they like what you're doing? Or is it just a matter of this is the way we've always done it, inertia? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's up for a lot of debate, but you know, and I, and I don't know that conventional medicine exactly is exactly opposed to healthcare in this form, this holistic healthcare model. I, I think there's just, it's not the reigning paradigm yet in the conventional world, but I think that's changing. I think there's more and more medical doctors 
seeking training from certification courses that specialize in whole person health. And part of the draw is it's not only better for patients, but it's really better for practitioners too, and that they actually have a more meaningful relationship with the people that they're aiming to help. We know that physician burnout is at record levels, especially after the COVID uh, issue we've been dealing with the last couple of years. And we also know just as a society, everyone's looking for more value and meaning in the work that they do. And holistic healthcare is, I think, as a type of medicine, it's more satisfying to provide because it's more relational. You get to know your patients much better versus seeing them only as a symptom with which they present. And I think concerns that I expressed about holistic health really stem from a lack of awareness of the evidence basis for this approach. It's one of the fastest growing areas of medical research, in fact, and a quick scan of medical literature shows that there's about 50,000 research articles in this topic alone, and every year the annual rate of research is increasing. So I think there's a couple of trends that are um, moving in our favor to help this become um, more of a favored approach. And Washington State and Oregon are leaders in this area. Yes, absolutely. In fact, Washington State, we've been licensed for over 100 years. In Oregon, the original, the first school of naturopathic medicine was founded there in Portland. We're kind of leaders in the area in the Northwest. Why do you think that is? So there's two main reasons. I think it's the schools. The oldest school founded in Oregon, National University of Naturopathic Medicine, and Bastyr University founded in the 70s in Seattle, now has a sister campus in Southern California, and a third school in Arizona, the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. So there's four school campuses on the West Coast. And in fact, next year, Another one is opening in Oregon, so there will be five. Really, the bulk of the education is on the West Coast, and I came from Vermont to attend Bastyr University, and I'm still living here. So I'm an example of somebody who's from another state, but I transplanted here because of the school. But the other reason, I think, is that these states here on the West Coast have really good scopes of practice. So in Washington, Oregon, Montana, and Arizona, NDs can be and can function as primary care doctors. Also, these states have community health centers where NDs can practice seeing patients from rural or underserved um, areas. And NDs as a population have been shown to have a great interest in practicing in rural and underserved communities care settings. So these states allow them as options. Where do you see the uh, Institute of Natural Medicine, where it will be in about a decade or so? Well, that's a big question. So our, our tagline is educate, empower, and transform. So regarding that, regarding education, I hope to see INM as a primary online educational resource for people interested in healthcare options. And I hope to see our programs reaching every state and territory. And regarding empowerment, I hope to see us providing those educational programs to the public to really help everyone become their own health CEO. So really increase health literacy, tell people understand about themselves and how to avail themselves of the best options to live a healthier life. And then regarding transformation, I hope to see our collaborations grow and us working interprofessionally with other practitioner organizations to affect transformation and increased access within healthcare. One of the things we're doing is working with the Foundation for Chiropractic Progress to write a white paper for the public on how to treat chronic back pain with non-pharmaceutical options. And there are so many. Yeah, it's uh, maybe getting chiropractic care versus taking o- opioids or something like that, correct? Exactly, yes. That might be, it might be appropriate. I mean, we know that the opioid epidemic is, is truly a tragedy. And even in 2017, the American College of Physicians released new guidelines for treating chronic pain. And those guidelines, which are developed through this incredibly rigorous systematic review of 160 studies don't recommend drugs as the first-line treatment. 
Instead, they actually urge doctors to first look to non-drug approaches like Tai Chi, physical therapy, stress reduction, even yoga, before considering even NSAIDs, much less opioids. In 2012, there's something like 60% of the adult population had some kind of prescription drug. And in 2014, there were 240 million prescriptions written for opioids. That is a staggering number. Yeah, that's actually. pretty pretty and stunning. It really is. And four out of five new heroin users report starting with prescription opioids. Before I let you go, I want to ask you a question, uh, your opinion on hyperbaric chambers. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think they're, um, I think they're fascinating. There's, the research is still, I think, evolving. It's been around a long time since like the 1600s, but I think it's primarily known for treating decompression sickness in, in people who die. But it is also being explored for other conditions like anemia and chronic wounds that don't respond to conventional treatment, um, serious infections. I'm most intrigued by that use of fighting serious infections. As we know, we, we need more tools and strategies since some of our antibiotics are losing their efficacy. So whatever other things we can do to help promote infection fighting, I think is, is beneficial. But again, the research still needs to be developed a little further. But I think it's, it's holding quite a bit of promise. But it is promising. Okay, because, yeah, again, it makes yeah. so much sense. I mean, you talk about non-evasive and not using drugs. You're just really pumping oxygen into your system. And I would yeah. think that would be falling into the category of holistic health and a much uh, less harmful approach, possibly. I mean, what is the downside of getting more oxygen? I guess the question what you're asking is how effective is it, though, yeah, exactly. I mean, there are some studies showing it can work synergistically with antibiotics in helping restore the bacteria-killing abilities of our white blood cells by increasing that uh, oxygen tissue level, as you're talking about. So I think it's worth worth looking into. There's always, for these new interventions, there's a cost involved, too. And it's an expensive piece of equipment, and there's a cost for the treatment, and making sure that there's a, a return on that investment, I think, is important for us to understand as a society. My thanks to Michelle Simon, the president and CEO of the Institute for Natural Medicine. If you would like to find out more about holistic medicine, you can visit their website, which is naturemed.org. That's naturemed.org, all one word. You just received some startling news. You're going to need brain surgery. But the doctor also says your prospects for total recovery are excellent. The doctor is very confident with his prognosis. He's performed hundreds of similar surgeries during his career. Who would you choose, this doctor or another doctor who's never performed this type of surgery? If the doctor who's performed similar surgeries is your choice, then experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixi Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. 
Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. On this day in history, August 11, 1934, the first federal prisoners landed on Alcatraz. They were classified as the most dangerous of the most dangerous prisoners. Between the opening of Alcatraz and its closing in 1962, a total of 36 inmates tried to escape. All were either captured, killed, or drowned, except for two. Frank Morris and his brother John and their possessions were found floating in San Francisco Bay, but their bodies were never recovered, leading some people to speculate that they may have engineered a successful escape. Alcatraz had a reputation as being a tough, as nails prison. That may have been more myth than fact. Warden James Johnson knew that poor food was often the cause of prison riots. So he prided himself in serving good food, and inmates could return for as many helpings as they wanted. They also had access privileges to monthly movies and a library and 15,000 books and popular magazines. Some prisoners even asked to be transferred from other federal prisons to Alcatraz. Also, on August 11, 1961, shortly after midnight, East German soldiers began laying down barbed wire and bricks as a barrier between Soviet-controlled East Berlin and the Democratic West Berlin section of the city, which became known as the Berlin Wall. And on November 9, 1989, masses of East and West Germans came together and began dismantling the Berlin Wall, a symbol that the Cold War was coming to an end. And that's kind of the way it's been up until recently. And closer to home, on August 3rd, 1964, a short item appeared in the Seattle Times. It invited readers interested in tours of the early day Seattle storefronts and sidewalks still intact in underground Pioneer Square to contact Seattle journalist and author, Bill Spidell. The response was overwhelming. Bill Seidel occasionally conducted informal tours of the subterranean sidewalks in basements to friends and family, but he went on to organize from the reaction to that column, which is now well known as Bill Spidel's Underground Tours, which is still going on to this day. This information is courtesy of HistoryLink.org. And also do want to let you know the information I did get from This Day in History comes courtesy of the History Channel. If you enjoy any of these little vignettes I talk about, you'll have a great time. So all you need to do is Google This Day in History. At Big Brothers Big Sisters Puget Sound, one youth, one mentor, plus one moment can unlock limitless potential. When you sign up to become a mentor with Big Brothers Big Sisters, you are matched one-on-one with a child in your community, a child with big potential. Hundreds of local youth are waiting. Be there for one of them. Big Brothers Big Sisters Puget Sound. Sign up today at MentorSeattle.org. That's MentorSeattle.org. Welcome to this edition of Spotlight on Success. Hi, I'm Eric Krima in studio with another Eric 
one of my favorite Eric's besides myself, oh, Eric thank Reiner. You very much. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing great. Great to talk to you as always. I want. I've been wanting to do this subject on podcasting, sort of the A to Z. Sure. And I thought of uh, you right away. I thought, you know what? That'd be great. So, uh, um, thank you for your time. Thank you for being in the studio here. And let's just get right into podcasting. Yeah, it's a works. pleasure. And you thought of me because you know I have a long commute where I listen to multiple podcasts every <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Me too. <laughs> And you know what? It's becoming really popular. Absolutely. You, you put your phone on there, go through the Bluetooth, boom, you're listening to anything from true crime to right. uh, you know, Comedy. history. Yep. Yep. Uh, what is your favorite genre? Uh, for me, it's usually comedy, but I do love uh, history podcasts as mm-hmm. well. So, um, yeah. It, I like political talk, not, not uh, far left, far right, but just conversation like that. Uh, I don't know if it's soothing being out there on the road, but, right? <laughs> uh, whatever it is, and comedy too. I'm with you on the comedy, a little bit on the true crime, but not much. My wife's all about the true crime, as is my mom, who is uh, I won't give her exact age, but she's a senior citizen. And I, that's what I find interesting about podcasts: they appeal to young. All the way up to because there's something for everybody. There's something for everybody. Yeah, yeah. There's millions of podcasts in the yeah, world. Yeah, I think at last last check it was over two million. Yeah, and growing daily. I think sixty million plus people listen on a daily wow. basis to podcasts. Um, and so it is incredibly popular. And I'm sure there's part of our audience that's thinking, I've always wanted to do a podcast. How hard can it be? Yeah, well, <laughs> it can be difficult if you don't know what you're doing, that's for sure. But it's not uh, insurmountable, that's Thank for you. sure. Yeah. Well, let's start with the basics, uh, equipment. It's not like the olden days when I first started in radio, where you have to be <laughs> in a radio station or, or a high-tech broadcast booth to put this together. Now you can actually do it in the privacy of your own home with equipment that's available as close as like a Best Buy. Yeah, that's true, or just ordered online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, it does sound better if you can come into a studio and record in the studio. For sure, for sure. Uh, it's, you know, it's just better equipment, Yeah, <laughs> and it costs <laughs> it costs a lot more, uh, but uh, it, it definitely sounds better, too. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, a, a basic podcast setup would include, you know, a, a USB microphone, some kind of audio editing, uh, possibly a mixer, um, and if you can figure out how to run those things, you can put together, a, you know, a, a pretty basic podcast. But you make an excellent point. It really begins with the quality of audio, because regardless of what you're saying, if that audio is bad, people are going to tune out. Right. You know, it's just it's just like the old scratchy black and white television where you're manipulating the rabbit ears. You know, you don't want that. Yeah, so, I I think in the early days, people were just so, you know, excited to hear people talking about stuff that they wanted to talk about because uh, talk radio having to, you know, appeal to broad audience had to keep their shows, their programming very broad. Mm-hmm. But podcasts from the beginning were like, we can talk about whatever we want. We can find a niche and just deep dive on that. And, you know, in the early days, people were recording stuff with just their phone. Uh, You know, they'd lay their phone on a table and then two people would talk. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people would listen because, hey, that's exciting content. But at this point in time, there's so much competition that nobody's going to put up with that anymore. They want something that sounds good. So while they're, you know, driving to work, everything, you know, is very clear and uh, audible. Yes. 
If you haven't listened to podcasts, I think what you need to do is go to a place like Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn. There's mm-hmm. just lots of platforms that have podcasts and just start experimenting. It's a little bit like YouTube and the internet as a whole. You kind of go down some rabbit holes. You just <laughs> you get can. excited and you start listening, but that's the point. So first of all, if you haven't listened, start listening to podcasts, find the genre that you like and and give it a listen. There's obviously going to be good and bad, just like there is in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but but give it a listen. Uh, the neat thing is, if you find one that you really like, well, then you can subscribe to it and have it automatically and regularly downloaded. I'll so, so I'll tell writing. you a little uh, pro tip as a listener. One thing I've done to find new podcasts to listen to is I search for some of my favorite comedians in the search bar, and then they'll pop up if they've been a guest Mm. on certain shows. Mm. And so then I just listen to their episode on multiple different shows. And the ones that I thought, oh, this is great. I'll come back to this. I subscribe to and then listen every week. Um, and so, you know, I've done that with musicians that I've liked. I've done that with comedians that I like, and it's introduced me to a whole bunch of different podcasts that I listen to regularly now. And some that I just listen to their particular episode. And then when they return (laughs) on that particular show, I listen again. That's, that's great advice. And as far as listening, really the sky's the limit, your phone, your, your, your car, if it's so equipped, uh, Alexa, you know, all anything that's basically an internet-based audio deliverer, yeah. delivery system, I guess is what I was wanting to say, you can make it happen that way. So you can listen at your convenience. Absolutely. Words, right? And yeah. you can stop and start. So it's great. That's nice. Part yeah. of it, especially for traffic. That's and if you're like. like me and your mind wanders <laughs> sometimes <laughs> while you're driving, you can, uh, you know, back up and catch what you missed while you were, th- you know, listening to your GPS <laughs> instructions or, you know, thinking about what groceries you need to pick up on the way home. Absolutely. So you've decided to do a podcast. It's probably a great idea to start planning. Yeah. If you're gonna If you're going to work with someone on it, Start planning out, um, and you've said this before, make sure you have enough episodes out there, you know, and, and at least planned out. Maybe even get a couple under your belt so you can work out all those kinks, cut your teeth, so to speak. That's a good idea. And you don't even have to release those podcasts if you uh, or those episodes if you aren't happy with them. Wait till you are happy with them and then put them out. Yep. And then you get into the creation. So make sure you have your equipment, you've tested the equipment, you've done some uh, things like that, as we said earlier. You've had a chance to do some test ones, if you like. Um, but then start producing the actual podcasts. Yeah. And and, and once, once you go to launch, let's talk about a platform. How does that work? Uh, well, there's tons of different platforms out there. Um, so doing some internet research is the best way to do it uh, because you first you need a platform that will host your podcast and then you want to make sure that it gets distributed to the different platforms where people actually listen like your Apple Podcasts, your Google Plays, your Stitcher, uh, you know, their SoundClouds of the world, all these uh, your podcast ones, you know, they all have apps that uh, people can download and listen on their phone. Um, And so you want to just make sure that whatever platform you go with uh, that hosts your podcast, that you're able to get it distributed to these various different other platforms that people actually listen on. Yeah. And once you're rolling, you can actually do some analytics so you can see who your audience is in terms of numbers. 
when they're tuning in and from where, it's pretty exciting at that point. Even if the numbers are small, say 25 to 50 people, it's it's really cool to know that your voice is being heard by them and listened. It's a lot different mm-hmm. than a commercial that somebody might hear during a television show, for instance. These people are seeking you out. They're listening probably the entirety of the of the podcast. I think it's three quarters. Yeah, and people can find you from all over the world, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, I think, on this particular episode of Spotlight on Success. I would have really liked to keep going on podcasts. I will say this, though, Eric, I know you're super friendly, and uh, if someone oh, gives me a call and I have a, they have a question that I can't answer, I'm sure I can send them your way and, sure. and talk a little bit about podcasts with them. Okay. Uh, let me give my phone number. It's 425-653-1150, 425-653-1150. If you have any specific questions about podcasts and you just want a little bit of advice here to help you, um, and again, that's whether or not you work with us or do your own thing. Um, yeah, I just like to hear great creativity out there, and I love the resurgence of the spoken word being popular. Hey, speaking of creativity, I'd like to recommend a podcast that's very creative and uh, very interesting every week with tons of great guests and a couple really good hosts. It's called Voices of Experience. Hey, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> and you can find that on all your favorite platforms wherever you listen to podcasts. So you should subscribe and download and listen to the show every week. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> that's okay. You're right. This this goes to podcasts, too. Uh, this is also a radio show, so it right. kind of does dual duty. But uh, as Eric has said earlier, uh, you can do just a podcast as well and send it, to, you know, send it up there at a relatively low cost. So uh, if if, it, if you're so inclined, just just it's like anything else in life. Just do it. Just get started. Make those mistakes. Have a little stumbles here and there. It's not going to break the bank, uh, provided you don't go crazy on technology and stuff. <laughs> um, but um, and have some fun. And yeah. help people, help people with the information. It's not worth that you doing know. if it's not fun, honestly, when it comes to this. Absolutely. Well, it's yeah. always fun talking with you, Eric. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Appreciate it. And thank you, listenership, for your, your ears today. We very much appreciate it on this edition of Spotlight on Success. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Today's Profiles of Experience came from an interview I had with Rick Kaminsky, better known as the Peanut Man, who literally pitched peanuts in the kingdom, and then at Safeco Field. Rick garnered national attention 
for his ability to fire a bag of penis from behind his back 10 or 15 rows away with incredible accuracy. I never saw him miss. Now, many would just buy a bag of peanuts so they could be on the receiving end of one of his behind-the-back pitches that came with a bag of peanuts. I had this interview with Rick around 1998, just a year before the Mariners moved to Safeco. Now, I do have to say I did know Rick fairly well. We met in the mid-1970s when he was in student government at Shoreline and I was in student government at Washington State. I knew that Rick was going to be number one in whatever occupation he pursued. Whether it was governor of the state of Washington, he would have won at some point. But he chose to pitch bags behind his back in front of him or toss fast pitch bags to fans during the game. He was going to be, again, number one, and he was. He was also a veteran of the United States Army during the Vietnam War. And very sadly, Rick died of a brain aneurysm on July 26, 2011. Our guest this week on U.S. West Profiles of Experience is Rick Kaminsky, but much better known as the peanut man at the Kingdom. He even refers to himself as a major league nut. Rick has been pitching peanuts in the Kingdom for over 22 years. And Rick, how did you become the peanut man? Well, actually, it's a strange story. As you know from, from our past, I was, a, uh, I was a Vietnam vet, and I was uh, at Shoreline Community College where I was student body president, where I happened to meet you when you were student body president at, at Wazoo. That's right. And uh, from there, I went to the UW on the GI Bill, and uh, boy, after, <laughs> after the four years, I took a break from school and decided to go to work to get a breather at the Kingdom. 22 years ago. Yeah, it was 22 years ago. Uh, well, actually, 21 years ago, and this is just the beginning of my 22nd year. Rick, what's an event at the Kingdom that stands out in your mind in, like, 21 years that just really was something very special? From my perspective, uh, Chicago White Sox uh, bullpen gave me a standing O one time for a, for a shot I threw, for a number of shots, actually, I threw in their area when they were looking. That's very unusual, but I was really honored because they were professionals, you know. All right. Also, one time, this is actually in 95, a group of visiting Japanese school kids were there, and <laughs> one of them came up and told me that I was famous. I was a hero in Japan. In Japan? <laughs> I said, who knew? You know? I never get out there. Ken Grevy Jr. and Rick Kaminsky. Oh, uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> and then uh, after Chris Brasio threw his no-hitter a few years back, he, sure. uh, he signed a T-shirt calling me the best arm in the West. Probably the most embarrassing moment I've had was, you know, somebody will go up, I tell them to use two hands, they put their hands right in front of their face, and they don't close their hands in time. The bag goes right through their hands, and they're eating peanuts, the hard way, bag and all. Before they wanted to. Well, you got to take them out of the shell. I recommend it. Hey, Rick, before we leave this morning, what uh, current projects are you working on? Oh, I'm, I'm currently beginning a, an association with the Liquidators Outlets. We've been talking to Rick Kaminsky, the peanut man, known as a major league nut. Now, he, that's on his card. I didn't say that. It's Rick, true, thank you true. very much for uh, being with us this morning on U.S. West Profiles of Experience. Thank you. I appreciate it very much, Paul. Thanks for having me. See you down at the Dome. Joe and Bob Rivers did a very respectful and phenomenal tribute to the peanut man on YouTube. I just saw it for the first time. If you remember Rick Kaminsky, I suggest you go to YouTube and watch it. All you need to do is input Rick Kaminsky. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, 
She instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. What a great show, Paul. Um, so happy to be on this edition of Voices of Experience. Uh, very interesting interviews all the way around, especially enjoyed your two that you had with the author and then also the uh, talking about holistic health care. Um, great job. Yeah, I uh, really think that we really have to have an integration of our health care and it's been coming for some time, but what I didn't realize before the interview is uh, how much the state of Washington and Oregon are in the leadership positions in holistic healthcare. So if you're into that, you are living in the right area. Speaking of healthcare, I want to uh, let people know about something I personally have gone through recently, not to be preachy here, but um, use the sunscreen this summer and also get your skin checked by a professional at least twice a year, because if you don't, you can have some, let's say cancer growth, some are more serious than others, but the earlier you get it, the better off you're going to be. And all I can say is I've had a very personal experience on that level now. My dermatologist told me it could have been a lot more serious had it got any further developed into my system. But right now I can report because I did get in, I did get it taken care of, that I'm absolutely fine now. So we're in the summer, it's August, it's hot. And so with that, put sunscreen on and get an appointment with a dermatologist. Absolutely. And that's a great message. And, you know, they say that uh, it can even be a cloudy day and those rays are getting through uh, the harmful rays, if you will. So even though we live up here in the great Pacific Northwest, it's important to get these things checked out, um, particularly as you age, because you're just exposed more. That's true, Eric. That's so true. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what my dermatologist said. There's a myth. They think it's cloudy here. You're not going to get these harmful rays as much as other areas. It's simply not true. Very good point. Um, Any comments you have about today in the show, you can call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. And you can just leave a message and let us know what you'd like to hear on the show. If you um, would like to hear more things like we did today, or just any type of tidbits. And that number again is 425-653-1166. Now, Voices airs on Kixie Wednesdays at 3 o'clock p.m. and is simulcast with Hubbard sister station, KKNW AM 1150 at the same time. Then Voices of Experience is rebroadcast on Kixie only Sundays at 11 a.m. My name is Paul Casey, and I want to thank Eric Crema again for um, his hosting today, and uh, also executive producers Steve Mills and Benny Mathers for helping us today. And uh, let me get to the quote of the week. This is a good one. Everyone is a prisoner of his own experiences. No one can eliminate prejudices. Just recognize them and go on. Edward R. Murrow. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? 
When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can. But it's just as important to take time for yourself. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You've been listening to the Voices of Experience Radio Network. No promotional fees have been paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. And finally, experience is our best teacher. You saved my life. You held my hand when I was scared. You helped me say goodbye to my dad. You were an example for me. You gave me strength when I thought I had none left. I couldn't tell you then, but I want to say thank you, all of you, for everything. Thank you to the physicians, nurses, and others working in America's hospitals and health systems. A message from the American Hospital Association, American Medical Association, and American Nurses Association. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can. But it's just as important to take time for yourself. AARP can help. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.